I'm really never going to forget this episode because this is the one where Mary compared herself to Jed Bush. And I will <laughs> live for that. Welcome back to A Brown Girl and a White Girl, the podcast where we talk about surviving graduate school and thriving outside of it. I'm Vienna, the resident brown girl. And I'm Mary, the resident white girl. And on today's show, we have Travis Candias. Travis is a PhD candidate at the Gravette School of Education at the University of California, Santa Barbara. Candias's research focuses on the alignment of policy, practice, and experience, particularly with educational contexts. His projects stand globally with higher education research and evaluation partners located in the U.S. and Latin America. Additionally, he is developing methodologies for reducing bias in large administrative data sets and policy analysis by combining machine learning and causal inference. Travis's research interests are inspired by his experiences growing up on a dairy farm in Northern California and simultaneously navigating public policies and educational institutions as the first in his family. Welcome to the show, Travis. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Happy it's Friday. Hoping and wishing it was week 10 and it was the end of the quarter, but besides uh, that, I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> How's your day going so far? I know it's early, but... um, It's good. Today is, I am this like student body president for my department, and this is the morning where I spend my time uh, doing that. So um, it's been productive, actually. Nice. How's that going? So, because like, our listeners don't know, but me and Mary used to be involved in this R. department. R.I.P. <laughs> Mary used to be the president. And so we have a lot of experiences that we um, fondly reminisce on. I think it's exciting. We're starting planning for the uh, GGSE Research Symposium. I would really like to see more like departments and students across campus involved um, at the undergraduate and graduate level. So I think the earlier we plan it, the more successful we might be in being able yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, but we're also doing um, kind of advisory committees for our program. Um, so trying to kind of organize like that as well. But we have our town hall coming up next week and like it should be fun. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Good on you guys. I mean, I think you're doing what Mary and I hoped it would become of like just beyond the department, like getting other people involved and showing other research and really kind of going off and building on kind of this need and this want for interdisciplinary research, because like how often do we really get to collaborate with other disciplines? And so I think that's awesome. Yeah. And it brings a little bit of air into the department. You know, sometimes it gets a little bit stuffy. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Kind of on this topic of research, if you can kind of go into a little bit about what you study or what you do and kind of how you got into that, I think that'd be great. So my research is mostly focused on uh, education policy and organizational change. Um, So I work on mostly projects that are related to this kind of broader federal or state level initiatives that they might have. And then kind of also thinking about how we might implement specifically those policies into practice, but also how we might think of different interventions for underrepresented students um, to be more successful once we actually start to structure those policies in our institutions and what what kind of exists today. So one of the projects that I'm um, really excited about right now that's happening in California is the California K-16 Collaborative. So essentially the state has released like 
or I guess separated the state into uh, 13 economic regions. The region that I work most closely with is uh, the Central Coast region um, and kind of like all of the institutions and schools in between. And essentially there are like 12 other regions that are in the state. And the idea is that K-12 uh, UC, CSU, and community colleges uh, will all partner with each other and like private organizations or employers um, will partner with each other to kind of build more equitable pathways for Lat primarily Latinx, but other um, underrepresented students as well um, to kind of uh, build out these career pathways, which are, are um, business and entrepreneurship, STEM education, uh, healthcare, and computing and engineering or engineering and computing. So there's been a lot of evaluation, uh, formative evaluations that have been done across the state in terms of how students are completing those pathways, like what kind of like, what are the barriers that they're facing um, and where what are some of like the drop-off points for students throughout that entire uh, pathway or pipeline people used to call it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that one's pretty exciting. There is such kind of like, you go through your K through 12 education and then when you get to college, it does feel so disjointed. Mm -hmm. right it it really does and then even once you're done with your undergrad sometimes even post that feels like a little disjointed but really that's like the 12 into college is that big break where at least for me I almost felt like I was starting from scratch again when I got to college it's like forget everything you've learned in the past 12 years you are starting from scratch once you get to college you are relearning how to do everything and so I think to have these pathways in place where that won't be the case I think is such an interesting concept that I'll be really excited to see kind of how that works out for students because I I can see where the benefits would lie in that. How did you become interested in kind of policy and organizational work? Like, how did you get into that? If you see me and look at me, you would know that I'm pretty young. Um, but I think that honestly, like <laughs> st starting from like a really early age, like I've really been like interested in like working with the community like really directly like I'm from a rural part of northern California so about two hours north of Sacramento the state capital and most of the population there is either white or Latinx and a large portion of the Latinx community are farm workers um, and people and you can just see the dis I grew up really like seeing this like disparity between groups just from a really young age my mom is an immigrant from the Philippines um, and my dad is white and I like could just see the difference between like the cultures of like the people of color versus like my family. Um, even though I'm a person of color, it felt so like I'm, I always like was thinking like what like why does it seem so different like for people that actually look like me versus like the people where like I, you know, kind of culturally like in a little bit easier in a lot of ways, but in some ways like I don't get accepted that way. Um, so it was this really like weird like experience going through like K-12 system in my hometown where I would end up being like one of the three people of color in these like advanced courses or think doing things that other students who really didn't look like me. Um, and I also happened to grow up on a farm. And so like people who like were really nothing like me at this personal level um, were doing these like advanced projects, you know, going to these like meetings with like important people, it seemed like. Um, and I was just always wondering like, okay, like I'm in some of these spaces, but not all of these spaces. And 
you know, I'm just kind of always thinking about that while I'm going to school, sitting in like advanced placement classes, and then going home and like shoveling cow manure, like feeding the cows grain, like doing all of these things. And so like constantly thinking about my own identity um, and like, what am I going to do? Because I don't think I want to be like work on a farm when I get older. Um, and like, I didn't really know what kind of jobs were out there um, because of like the location of where I came from or the geography. And so I was like, well, I'll be a teacher, you know, like that seems like something I can do. That seems like something that would make impact in the way that I wanted to. Um, I really liked working with students or I really liked the idea of working with students back then. Um, so I was like, okay, like, you know, teaching, like that's the best way to do that. And I just, I really just happened to go to uh, the University of California Davis uh, for my undergraduate. And, um, and I had like the best experience that like I could have thought for, right? There's all figuring out the admissions part, the financial part, that kind of stuff. But I, at that point I was like, well, I can't work on the farm anymore. So like I have to do something. So I went to Davis um, and I ended up majoring in uh, international relations um, and history with a, uh, with an emphasis in world trade and development and a minor in education because I was going to be a teacher and I really wanted to teach like social science. And so like, you know, that seemed like the best path. That seemed like a real pathway. And, you know, I had a lot of experience as an undergrad working in student affairs. I was a tour guide. Um, I worked at our student union. And so I was really interested in like student affairs and once I started doing that, getting a little bit older, I guess, um, I started to be really burnt out from school. And my last year of undergrad, I did research um, with a faculty member in the School of Education. And I just, I call it a like simple survey, but like, you know, now that I'm in grad school, like it was just as good as anything I could have done now, honestly. Um <laughs> I did that like as an undergraduate research project. And I kind of at that point knew like research is where like something that I enjoy doing, like that's very exciting. I thought it was very exciting. I thought um, there's so many things that are interesting to read. I never grew up liking reading um, and I had finally found like a way to read uh, that worked for me. And so like, and it involved doing a project, implementing it, like kind of managing my own time. Like I really enjoyed like kind of those things. Um, and I had like all of the other stuff going on on campus too. So I never had too much to time to spend like on that. So um, it was kind of manageable in that way. Um, and I didn't really take it as seriously as I do now. So it seemed like fun and not that it's not fun now, of course, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> You're like, um, it's just slightly less <laughs> novel now. It's different it's fun. Di it becomes different, but um yeah, so I did all of that. And, you know, I was like, I'm going to take a gap year from school in general. I'm going to get a job. Like I went, I became staff in a graduate program advisor my, as my first job before graduate school. Um, and I did that for a few years. And I, I worked very closely um, in an academic department where they studied like organizational change and organizational behavior. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way to think about at the time, I was very focused on higher education research. Um, and so I thought that that was a really interesting way to think about um, the way that we like kind of structure policy, organize policy. Um, if we have these public policies, right, like financial aid, 
um, even admissions requirements at the institutional level. It's really interesting like to see how that work gets done and what kind of people are participating in that work, how they're processing that information and sharing that information back to stakeholders. I think that that's all really interesting um, and is actually really closely related to policy. And so you know, from there, like, I've kind of just continued to question, like, how do we organize policy? How can we structure it so that things get done? Um, but also, like, actual changes happen because we implemented a new policy, not just to create more work or something like that. Something else I learned as a professional in the education system um, is that there are very finite resources. And so, you know, you don't have a ton of money to spend on things, which also means you don't have a ton of people to hire to do these things. And so there are a lot of ways to get things done. But I think something that I didn't plan on when I was an undergraduate was my actual major contributing so much to like how I think about my research now um, and really thinking about the economics and like the politics that go into like organizational change when you're thinking about implementing a new kind of like public policy, whether it's like federal, state, institutional or like local. Oddly enough, like I've created this story for myself that this is how it happened. But, you know, going through all of it, it was de it definitely never felt like that. But it's kind of been a long time coming. And like you have to be jaded almost before you can tell a story like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I am intrigued. You mentioned that you were a grad program advisor for a while, kind of in between this time of you graduating and then coming to grad school. Did that kind of give you any insight into kind of like what you were getting yourself into? Did you like coming in where you're like, hey, I really remember this thing. I have to remember like from what the student told me, that's going to help me get through this experience a little bit less unscathed or a little less jaded than I want to be. Um, well, the jaded thing, I don't know if that, <laughs> <laughs> there are so many ways to look at that. You can either be more jaded, less jaded, which mm -hmm. one is better for the PhD? Yeah. I think it depends on the person. Um, I, I will say though, oddly enough, like I am, I don't take things as personally anymore. Um, I think uh, when I was the graduate program advisor, like I think what the biggest learning curve for me was how to like kind of present myself like in a prof professional environment. Um, and um, because I think a lot of the actual tasks like are okay, like they're manageable. Um, but I think working in a institution as like a staff member, it really like, it really shed a lot of light onto what it might be like in a different role in the institution. Um, I, I think also, um, a lot of what I learned what had to do with like interpersonal relationships. Like I, you know, I, I think that that's something that was definitely like, un it might be understudied, I guess I'd say. Um, like I really didn't know. And so I, I kind of hold myself in a similar way when I'm, while I'm going through the PhD program. Um, ironically, I'm in the same institution um, and my career goals are just like different. Like I am kind of more on an academic route um, than I am for anything professional or like a director or a industry researcher or anything like that. Um, and I think like just knowing, being able to navigate like the institution that you attend as a professional is a lot 
the learning curve is almost the same um, at my particular institution um, to learning how it works. Um, but I think it just gets easier over time to advocate for yourself, um, especially if you've been, for me, having been in a workplace taught me a lot about that, um, like advocating for myself, just saying like, okay, like I know how to do things. It's not hard for me to figure out what needs to get done. It's hard for me to figure out how to get resources to get that thing done. Um, mm -hmm. And so what I've learned is people will like, you know, it's honestly super rare that people say no. And I think when people say no, that you're just not, this is bad. But like, I just found that like, I haven't been asking for anything specific enough for them to say like, okay, I can do that for you. Um, and I've learned that, you know, it's easier to just work with some people more than others. Um, and that's something that I've kind of enjoyed about this uh, role as a graduate student a little bit more is um, I've been really lucky to be able to choose who I work with and who I don't. Um, and But I still have had to learn there are some people that um, I have kept on for like milestones in my project um, that um, didn't, I had a hard time working with them just because I think I had um, my own goals and my own agenda. Um, and it's really hard to coordinate those things sometimes. And that's normal. Um, like it's, and it's not personal. It's just hard because, um, you know, you're in a place where everyone is busy. Um, and so, you know, I think everyone works here, See, and see, I'm so jaded, but I'm so optimistic. I was about to say, everyone wants to help you. Um, <laughs> you know, I think people really do want to help you. I, you know, I think that there's a lot of tension between groups on, on a college campus, like between faculty, students, staff, things like that. Um, and I, I think that a lot of people would like to be able to help you. I think that sometimes it's just hard to advocate for the resources to like appropriately help people. And then people get their personalities involved and all of these things and everyone's frustrated. And, you know, you come into this conflict, um, which becomes a part of the problem of organizational change and implementing policy. And I like go back to this again. So, um, you know, it's for me, it's really just become a part of the really what we've made painful process of like providing services to people. Um, and it shouldn't be like that. Um, and, you know, I have found myself doing things that kind of recreate that and reproduce that. Um, and sometimes you're really far into the process that so it's really hard to like stop what you're doing. Um, but the really nice thing about this is, is that like you get another chance the following year to do it better. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for me, it's just like being like something that I learned in my first job is like being able to reflect on my own process um, and figure out how to make that more of a collaborative process instead of something that I do just by myself, um, which is honestly something that gets rewarded a lot in academia is doing things by yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's what I've learned. <laughs> yeah. It's not a skill set that anybody mentors you in either. Um, and I'm thinking about different conversations that I've been a part of with faculty or with students or with staff of nobody gives you a blueprint for how to negotiate expectations either. Um, and how often do you show up to a meeting with someone you're collaborating with? And you both have your own agendas, 
but there's not, no one's really going to say, hey, these are my goals and these are my agendas, unless that's like agreed upon or you have that kind of working relationship that makes it apparent. Like, why shouldn't we say in a meeting, hey, these are my three goals. This is my capacity. Okay. These are my three goals. This is my capacity. And then you have that negotiation. But I also think a lot about like the power imbalances that happen. So when you're a graduate student working with faculty, and how do you sit there with faculty who are like, well, I did the grind. I worked really hard. I, you know, worked 70, 80 hours a week. I don't even know how many hours are in a week, but like I worked this obscene amount and I'm going to have that same expectation of you. Yeah. And, and so how do you navigate those relationships? And I'm kind of curious because you talked about your reflection process of figuring out how to move from individual to collaborative work and what has that looked like for you of establishing boundaries and making that collaboration work for you and others? Yeah. Um, so like, I completely agree. I think that like the negotiating, like your capabilities and your time and your bandwidth, like are all really important things like that just are part of honestly, the what I feel like is a hidden curriculum to graduate school. Oh, yeah. Um, because I think that, um, Oftentimes, like, you're exactly right, like, um, advisors are kind of recreating this process that we, like, that they experience, so it only makes sense to do it in the same way, and, like, there's this, like, oh, well, like, in a lot of cases, like, that person controls your funding, um, and, you know, so I've been really lucky that I haven't really, like, experienced that, um, but what I will say is that, like, I think that it should be something that like faculty are really encouraged to kind of like incorporate like into their advising practice. Like I, you know, from a graduate student experience, like it's really, or from a, I guess from a like professional, if you're thinking of the faculty as a professional um, and like as a supervisor, like I think it would be really like beneficial to help students kind of learn like in a research environment, like how can you set goals for this particular project? Um, and how can you set it in a way that you're gonna complete it without having to spend like too many hours like at a time um, doing that? Um, so this is not that like finding or whatever, that conclusion is not necessarily from research, but I think reflecting on the way that I approached my first program milestone, which is the independent research project, I think I spent too much time doing certain aspects of that. Um, and I think it was because I didn't set an achievable goal from the beginning because I didn't know what an achievable goal really looked like for the independent research project. Um, and so I think like if for me, like it helps a lot, it helped a lot to have like reflected because it seems like the other milestones are going a lot more smoothly because I don't want to spend, I don't have as much time to spend on those things. Um, and I, now I tell my advisor that um, because it's like, you know, I, I think what's important to communicate is that you have plans to finish, um, but you just don't have time to do that right now, but you're going to do it by this time. So like deadlines, and achievable goals, I think, are something that, like, help a lot in moving into, like, individual to collaborative work. I think everyone operates really well with, like, goals and deadlines. Um, so thinking, going back to, like, my role as the president, um, I'm trying to create these, like, working group committees, essentially, 
Um, and so one of the things is that we have is we have goals um, and we have deadlines. And so that helps, I think, other people feel like broadly, okay, this is a deadline that I'm able to participate in or contribute to um, and I can help me and I have the bandwidth like and you can see like one month from now, two months from now, three months from now, four months from now, et cetera. Um, and so I think that like just structuring, I think, and then leadership is another important role. So having someone that like is able, able to kind of structure some loose goals and some deadlines for people um, is a great way to kind of like open up the door. Um, as long as I think that person doesn't, isn't really like, super concerned with how it gets done they just kind of want like people to work together to achieve like something in a deadline and providing some loose guidelines like I think people really want to have some ownership over what it is that they're doing and I think like sometimes in graduate school like it can feel like well I'm just doing someone else's project um and so you lose motivation and it's all of these like just kind of organizational like challenges that people face like when they're trying to get work done um, and in like the higher education space including research like with faculty staff like students um, other like administrative things like I think a lot of time is focused outside of the organization um, instead of a kind of addressing like these internal challenges like literally like do any of us know how to set goals really like do any of us like give deadlines that are that like, was my effective? next question for you was <laughs> how do we set a goal you know like it's so like some of the things that I've seen come out it's really interesting they have those like smart goals I don't know if you've seen them um I sh I need to look let me look it up really quick to see what it stands for but like I will say I am so bad at setting goals, like, and I am so <laughs> bad um, at like, you know, I know what the big goal is, but I yeah. always like, I always get lost in that. And I think yeah. like bringing us to another aspect of graduate school, that's where the anxiety lives, right? Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. because you're so focused on the big, the big goal and that's in the future. And like, there are so many things leading up to that future um, that just like you're living in that state. And so, yeah. you know, that's been a part of the reflective process is like, okay, when I'm thinking about where I want to be, like, where am I right now? Because that's yeah. where I have to go from. But like, yeah. you know, there's just, no, yeah. <laughs> I almost think about it as like hearing you talk about it. It's like, it's like building a puzzle, right? You know what the end picture is. Mary's rolling her eyes because here Even comes another metaphor. Metaphors. <laughs> uh, but it is. It's like building a puzzle. You know what the end picture is going to look like. That's on the box, right? You know you're going to get your degree at the end of the day. You know you want to use it for these aims. But you get so overwhelmed with where do I start? right? Mm -hmm. What pieces do I pick up first? Which ones do I put together first? Where, what corner of the puzzle do I focus my energies on? And like you said, how long do I spend on it? Do I completely finish that quarter of the puzzle before I move on? Or as long as it somehow has a shape to it, and then I can move on and resolve it later, right? And so mm -hmm. I agree with you that it's like, you know what the end goal is, but it's like getting there and knowing where your efforts go is sometimes a hard part of like, okay, how long do I spend on my independent research project? How big in scope do I want it to be? Or do I realize it's just a 
hoop I need to jump through and that's okay and let me just treat it that way or how long do I want to spend on my qualifying exams and to what aim do I want them to be useful down the line or are they something that I just need to complete because I know I'm not going to come back to them um and so and even when you're working on these individual things it's like okay what do I get started with first do I do this first do I do that first do I do both things simultaneously and so um I think like Mary said, like that's sometimes the hardest part of grad school is learning how to set boundaries. It's learning how to set goals um, and kind of going off of that and kind of what you were saying earlier in terms of advocating for yourself. It's learning also how to ask for help when you're feeling overwhelmed with how to do that. Right. Like knowing like, hey, I'm in over a head. Let me ask my advisor. I'm in over my head right now. Let me ask my peers how they're handling this and how they're setting their goals and maybe using that as a guideline as well. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think there's like the added layer though, of like when your feasibility and expectations, like for a milestone example, for, for a milestone, for example, there we go. Got all the words. Um, but that your expectations for that do not meet and to use the vocabulary, your supervisor, your faculty yeah. advisor, they're your, your job supervisor, and you're not meeting their expectations of what that output is. Um, and how, this is like a question with no answer because every relationship between advising and faculty advisor is different. But like, how do you navigate that with your advisor? Do you have to comply with what they want because you, there is go- not going to be any negotiation or are they open to negotiation? And instead of, you know, you want to write 20 pages, they want you to write 40, you write 30, right? Does that, mm-hmm. is there that flexibility to happen mm-hmm. or does it not? And then I think also like the emotional reality of seeing when your friends or your peers can have that yeah, mm-hmm. and maybe you can't or vice versa, like what, what relationships are different and grad school is a comparison game. So if oh, you're yeah. able to then compare your relationship to others, you're seeing what you are or aren't getting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, it makes me, what you said makes me think about like, you know, there is, there are really strong differences between the disciplines. Like, and I think that it, it is a lot different when you have something like live cells um, that you need to take care of, like in um, a lot of the science uh, fields. Um, And so I think like, you know, for me, what really comes to question because, you know, we're all PhD students and we're all like, you know, going into this one like type of job market or one sector of the job market. um, And there are multiple that we're going into. So even the experiences leading up to that like career outcome uh, vary a lot across individuals um, and across disciplines and then across institutions as well. Um, And so if we're really thinking about this broader picture of like, okay, well, we do need research to keep things moving forward, right? To have like social change, what kind of like public or institutional policies can actually change the conditions for students, you know? Um, that are seek like in these career pathways and specifically like um, in STEM versus social science, for example, um, like maybe some disciplines are more flexible than others. But again, like where can we get the resources to provide this like kind of flexibility that like students have like at a very individual basis or need like at a very individual basis? Because, you know, it it is very different. Like the funding packages look different. Oh, yeah like the time you spend like at a desk or like stationary looks different. Some people go like across like research sites, like locally, 
statewide, national, international, like all of that kind of stuff. So um, I think that there's, and this is the problem, like when you think about policy anyways, like how can you ask a question that's inclusive enough, but that has like aspects that you can actually evaluate to see like that it worked, you know? Um, So graduate studies is just one of the many like issues, I think that uh, plague these like pathway oriented like structures i'm shaking my head (laughs) we love grad school um you know that honestly brings us to our last question though because when you're thinking about graduate school in that context of if it's causing all these problems organizationally policy-wise there's so many things that you can or can't assess why did you make the investment and the choice to go to grad school? Um, well, at first it seemed a lot more clear than it does now. Um, you know, Yikes. <laughs> it really, it really goes back and forth, right? Because I think I really went to graduate school because I saw it as a way for me to like make have impact without being something like a politician yeah. or working directly in politics. And I thought that evidence-based um, policymaking is really important, um, but I never wanted to be the one that uh, was deciding like what the final policy might be, right? I always wanted to be more of like an informant, like a, you know, like an agent or something like that, something that sounded cooler. <laughs> um, and so professor apparently sounded cooler. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, I showed up wanting to do that. I still want to do that. Um, the reasons why I wanted do that um, are still because I want to make impact. But I think, you know, when I think about publishing and like what that takes and what that, what it takes first, like it's a lot. Um, it I've said it like a few times now that I've been in grad school a couple of years, like it feels like you're applying to school every year, essentially. Like you always submit something that either you want to study or you have studied um, and you let like committees of people decide what the fate of that particular project is. Um, And that's a really like, you know, your mental health, like rejection, like it's, you know, I don't know if I'm better dealing with rejection now, like if anything, (laughs) I don't, you know, and it's like, then it brings up the personal like experiences of rejection. And like, you know, you're like, usually like in your twenties or something, maybe when you're doing this and it's just like, whoa, like, I have, per- is this personal? Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Grad um, school, who knew it's just a dating game at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, you should like, be better at finding someone while in grad school because you take rejection better. Yeah. That's what I'm well, hearing you say. Yeah. yeah. Journals might as well swipe left or right on yeah. your article. Like, <laughs> I could, you know, in a lot of cases you could do without the reviews and just like go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, like, Um, now like I see publishing like as kind of an opportunity to share with communities outside of your own um, with work that's been done Um, and I've been really lucky in graduate school to kind of have like um, mostly focused on methodological training so um, I am in part like I do in part consider myself a methodologist um, aside from a theorist Um, and I think just having like the practical applications like Um, or learning more about the practical applications has one, helped me finish more projects, um, two, have like 
you know, practical skills to bring to industry. So you do using that for like evaluation projects. Um, and I'm very lucky to have been exposed to the field of evaluation because it's just very much like used these days. Um, there are a lot of like um, in California and across the country, educational research, like consulting firms um, that really value both like qualitative and quantitative skills. And I think that that's just another industry that I wasn't aware of um, when I was growing up, but something that's definitely doable, I think, for graduate students after even the math, even the master's degree, even the bachelor's degree in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I think it's really important for me to be in graduate school and to and to continue in academia because you know I've gone through so many different experiences and I've learned so much from them and I think like being in a position that allows you to keep sharing those resources um like as the world continues to change and as like student demographics like change like across the country like it would be a real shame if we kept the institutions looking the same um, yeah. And if, you know, the, those individuals, like, I think have contributed like a lot, like, and I think that it's right to want to uphold something that you built. But I also think like, sometimes those things are a little bit out of touch with like what's actually happening today, like in the communities of students and children, like who are going to higher education, you know, they've experienced a lot of different things, like even since like, only the 2000s, you know? Um, and while we're recording this, like there are like international crises happening. Yeah. Um, and yeah. those are also things that people will grow up remembering um, and will continue to shape how they think about the world and like the recommendations that they make like and politically and like for public policy. And I think that it'll be really interesting um, to see like kind of how that shapes. So I would like to be like a leader, like um, during that change, but you know, who cares? No, not who cares. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we all care. <laughs> you could almost argue we care too much. And that is why we are in grad school, right? Like, like you said, you, I think all of us, that's essentially why you're doing this in grad school is you want to be in a position to share resources or to share knowledge, to improve the social condition of a group or of um, a certain space, right? And so, so we're all out here just caring a little bit too much sometimes. So hard transition. Switching. Yes, but not maybe not so hard. I think I have a transition for this one. So speaking about something relating to organization to switching to something that lacks organization we have a little bit that we're gonna ask you to do the best uh, segue yet i know i know <laughs> i've made it work it's not like we made you commit to a bit already by having you on this podcast we're gonna make you commit a little bit more so we have a little surprise question for you to answer no preparation is required. You won't be flying solo. Me and Mary will also give our perspectives on the question. Um, but here's the fun part. You can get your question and decide, not the vibe. I don't want to answer that one. Mary will give you a second question. You can again be like, also not the vibe. Give me another question. And Mary will give you a third question. Here's the thing, though. You have to answer the third question then. You only get two skips. So be a little strategic here. Would you rather read minds or be invisible and why? Oh, geez. <laughs> um, I think I would rather read minds because 
when you are watching someone give a talk, it would be really interesting to know if they thought of saying something else instead of what they actually said. And I think, you know, if you were able to control it that way, that would be so cool. That is interesting. That's a good reason to pick that. My answer has always been be invisible. I think I'm going to stick with that one. You know, reading minds, I feel like sometimes there's shit I just don't want to know, but I'm so nosy that I'm going to like find it out. Like I'm going to choose to read a mind because let's Mm -hmm. say you can turn it off on and off. So I would like choose to read a mind because I want to know, but then I'm like, I wish I didn't know that. So instead of exposing myself to instances where my poor impulse control would not do me well. And I think in my world, invisible also means you can like walk through materials like, you don't, you're not like solid. Um, and so that way it just be easier. Yeah. I can just like get the f- out of any situation and then I don't have to deal with, I don't know, having great communication skills. Irish goodbye, but really just invisible. I'm struggling because I already feel like I'm pretty good at being invisible when I want to, invisible when I want to be. Like I tend, like I can blend in pretty easily when I want to, but then at the same time, because I am a cancer, I feel like I'm very intuitive. So I'm already kind of pretty good at reading minds, but I think I would go with read minds. I feel like I would want to know. I'm like, just for like, purely based on the fact that like, I want to know how to respond to someone in the like best way. Like if they're telling me something, but I can read a mind and think that they're thinking of something else and I can like craft my response to be something that maybe tackles both of the things that they're thinking about or saying. And so I feel like I would go that route to read minds. I think your people pleasing has hit a whole new level. Oh, completely. <laughs> this is another quality issue. found in grad school. Oh, yeah. No, and <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I feel like teaching in the at a collegiate level has made it like 10 times worse. Like I'm like I, ta- I taught yesterday and like 20 pairs of eyes looking at me. I'm like, I just want you guys to like me. <laughs> like that is all Please I want. Please laugh. The day. I will make as many self-deprecating jokes as it takes for you to like me. So I found you funny. I always feel like Jeb Bush, you know that meme where he's like, please clap when he was running for president like <laughs> 10 years ago or whatever. You know what I mean? Does anybody understand? Okay, great. Thanks, Travis. But I feel like that where you're in front of all these undergrads, 20 pairs of eyes, and you're just like, please laugh. It was a joke. Like, I'm not staying. I'm not, I'm not, I don't just say stupid shit for the fun of it, which isn't true. I do. But like, I'm, I'm never going to forget you. this episode because this is the one where Mary compared herself to Jed Bush. And I will <laughs> live for that. Um, well, and on you know. that note, <laughs> that is the end of our podcast today. So Travis, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us and sharing your experiences with us. Really appreciate it. Um, But as we conclude today's podcast, we wanted to ask you one last question. Um, How can people find you? Is there anything that you kind of want to plug? Anything you want to draw some attention to? I am on all social media. It is just my first last name, Travis Candias. Nothing special. Um, If you want to see more of the work that I do, uh, LinkedIn is probably the best page to check or place to check that. If you're an undergraduate listening, I love to mentor undergrads with your independent research projects, um, but I also have things that you can help out with if you'd like to get involved in research early on. Um, So you can also reach me um, via email, um, which I'm sure you can find if you Google me. Thank you so much, both of you, for having me on. This was great. And I'll say it again. I haven't stopped smiling since I got online. (laughs) Yay. We'd love to hear it. Yeah. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. A special thank you to our guests for sharing their expertise and their time. This podcast is brought to you by Bianca and Mary, founders and creators of the Brown Girl and White Girl, the podcast. To learn more about future guests and episodes, tune into our social medias. You can follow us at BG and WG on Instagram and as a Brown Girl and a White Girl podcast on Facebook. If you have anyone you'd love to be featured on the podcast or topics that you want to be discussed, let us know at the link in our bio and episode description. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time.